It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom David was, Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall find we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel, making petition and plea before his God. Then they came and next near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man without 30 days, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or, or, nor, or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and slept fled from him. Then at break of the day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 
My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel was be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the account of Daniel and your power. Lord, thanks for the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we are settled in in a morning in October, that you would awaken our hearts and our minds to your truth, that you would encourage us, you'd help us, that you would heal us, that we would see Jesus for who he is, and that we would be individually and as a church continually focused on serving you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 1929, at the Rose Bowl, the University of California was playing Georgia Tech, and I apologize for two football illustrations at the start of uh, this week and last week, but I love this story. In the middle of the Rose Bowl in 1929, there was a, the, the Roy Regals who played both sides, offense and defense on the front line. He played nose guard on defense. Georgia Tech had the ball. Uh, they fumbled it. Roy Regals picked the ball up on his own 30, got spun around, and ran the wrong way for 69 yards. People on his own team were yelling at him, trying to turn around, and when he finally realized it, his own players and some of the Georgia Tech teams had, had tackled him on what was his one-yard line. His, his, he was devastated by it. He was one of the smartest players his coach said he'd ever coached. He was unbelievably successful, a great football player, but he got turned the wrong way, and he ran the wrong way, and for the rest of his life, he carried with his name Roy Wrongway Regals. While it was happening, the other team, on the Georgia Tech team, saw it, and back then the players had to sit down on the benches. They were so excited, but the coach for the Georgia Tech team kept saying, sit down, sit down, he's just running the wrong way. Every step he takes, it's to our advantage. And maybe this morning, you feel a little bit like Roy Regals. 
You've got spun around a little bit. You've been turned. You've followed God. You are a Christian. But Psalm 57, 4 might seem very real for you. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. And this is how it feels for you. Or, and, and you're asking yourself sometimes, is it really important that I follow God all the way through? Is it really important that I commit to the disciplines of the faith and the means of grace? I mean, is it really possible to live as a Christian in our culture? Is it really possible to do this at my job week after week, day after day? Is it really possible? And then maybe is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to persevere all the way into the end? Is Jesus really worth it? Or also maybe you might be sitting here and saying maybe it's, in the back of your head, it's, it's too late. Or maybe it's too late. God's given me lots of chances through my life. He's, he's given me many opportunities, and I didn't take them. I turned and ran the wrong way, been doing it for a while, and I'm just trying to scrape together enough faith and practices, that, but really, I really feel like it's too late, that God really doesn't want to use me anymore. My aim this morning is to, if you find yourself in a din season of life, or if you find yourself in a delight season of life where it's going great, wherever season of life you're in, a, a din where you feel like you're in the midst of lions, or just a delight and, and life is great and you've got it under control, I want this morning, my aim for you is at the end of that you would say, you know, I'm going to decide, continue to decide to go God's way, or this morning, I want you to decide to turn back to God's way and direct your eyes to Jesus, who is the true deliverer. Daniel chapter 6 is about Daniel doing what God wanted him to do, finding himself in a den, but he was delivered. And we're just going to walk our way through it. I'll give you the seven words we're going to use. You can hook yourself onto it. Distinguished, dissected, duped, devoted, distressed, delivered, and dare. We won't spend a ton of time on every one of them, but just notice first, distinguished. It, it, this Daniel is almost 80 years old now. He, he was brought in from exile as a young guy, remember in Daniel chapter 1, and it says it pleased Darius. All these other, Nebuchadnezzar had risen up, Belshazzar had risen up, and now Darius is in charge of Babylon. It says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 governors to keep his affairs in order all throughout the kingdom. And above those governors, because they were so conscious of their power and afraid of losing power, that they wanted to make sure they were doing the right thing and he wasn't losing any money, he said, I'm going to set three three officials over them, and Daniel, because of his distinguished career over the years that Darius had heard about over, through Babylon, he said Daniel's going to be one of the guys. So Daniel was one of three of these leaders over these 120 other guys to make sure they weren't stealing, cheating, or taking things from Darius. And it seemed good for, for him to do this. And the reason why he got that position was because of his performance. It says that he, this then Daniel dis, became distinguished above all the other high officials because an excellent spirit was in him. 
And the king had this plan because he saw Daniel, who this excellent spirit, he said, I'm going to make Daniel not just one of three. I'm going to make him the top one of everyone. He's going to be the guy. He had this plan to set him over the whole kingdom. He was distinguished. He had persevered. This exiled Jew brought into this pagan culture went to work every single day and did his job for cruel, wicked rulers. Total people who had no desire for God. And what was said of him was he had this excellent spirit and it was distinguished. Which should give us some pause. When we look at our culture and say, how how are we supposed to live in the culture we live in that seems to be progressively getting away from the things of God? How do you go to work in these environments and live as a Christian exile in that world? This is what Daniel teaches us. You, You go to work and you do your job. And you do your job extremely well, which is sometimes different than the way we think we're supposed to do it. I read this week that there's a pastor in Oklahoma who's going to run for Senate. And when he said he was running for Senate, this is what he said. He said, I'm going to go in there. And he goes, it's time to shout in the halls of Congress that Jesus is king. Is it? Really? Is that what we're called to do? Is that what Daniel did? Did Daniel go through Babylon screaming to people that Jesus is king? No. Daniel didn't go into the halls of Babylon screaming Jesus is king. Daniel went into Babylon and listened to his leaders, listened and obeyed and followed and did his job, and he did it in such an excellent way that they looked at him and said, who's your king, Daniel? Who is it that you're following? Because you are so much different than everybody else. You are so much more distinguished than the rest of these people. So much so that I want to make you the head of everybody else. Our expectations is that we should go in there and just change it all. Daniel didn't do that. He lived in exile for over 60 years, a distinguished life. When God opened up a door, Daniel walked in. We we basically have about nine days of Daniel's life in Daniel. What did he do the rest of those 60 years? He got up, he went to work, he served faithfully, so much so that this reputation build, that this guy, he just serves. And he does it excellently. He shows up on time. He works hard. He's not watching the clock all the time. He's he's wanting to make the company the best that it can be. He, he, He does extra when he's asked to do it. This distinguished Daniel and gave him this unbelievable difference. I heard a story this week that in World War II, towards Stalin in Russia, was oppressing Christianity. Everybody knows this. And and they're very limited. But then towards the end of World War II, he made this announcement in Russia that he was going to start opening up and give more leniency to Christianity. And and nobody knew why. Nobody could figure out why why would Stalin, at the end, towards the end of World War II, start opening things up for Christians and making it easier for them to live. And, And after the war... There was, they, they found out why. What had happened was in Russia, in the ammunition 
um, factories. He was getting more and more reports of different factories that were being more successful. They were making more product and, be- and better product, and, it, and things were going very well there. And more reports, he said, why is that? They found out that these were all the factories where pockets of Christians were working. And he found out that they, where the Christians were working, they were producing better and they were making more. And so Stalin saw that and said, hey, we're going to lighten things up for the Christians over there. I need, to, I need to lighten it up for them because they are doing what they were asked to do. This is how Daniel distinguished his life by his performance. He had this excellent spirit. Is, is that what we could be said of you at work? Is that how the way the people that work with you would say, yeah, this, he's a Christian, and I know it because, not because he's talking about Jesus and plastering Jesus stuff and preaching us to us all the time, but because of the excellence of his work. And then when I hear him talk, he does talk about Jesus, and I see the difference in his life. He was distinguished, but he also did it with this great perseverance. I mean, he didn't just do it for 10 years or 20 years. He did it for 20 for 60-some years, Daniel at this time is in his late 80s, almost 90s, and he's, and he's working for this king, and he's just persevering in his faith, doing his job as a man in his 80s, maybe even early 90s, and he's active, and he's still serving God. There is a way to distinguish yourself in your performance at work and in your perseverance and in your excellent spirit, but there's also a way to distinguish yourself as a Christian in your perseverance. I mean, there, there's two ways you can serve God as you get older. You, you can have a choice between the balcony or, or the backstage. Remember the two old guys in the Muppets who sat on the balcony? And they just got up there and all they did was complain and complain and complain and point out at this and point out at that and say, that's not the way you should do it. Oh, that's a joke. And they, just, they, they sat in the balcony. Or, as you progress in your age and in your life, you can, you can say, you know, I'm, gonna go, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to go backstage where, there's, where they're doing all the work, where things are getting done, things are getting moved and, 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 and working. And we need Christians to distinguish themselves by their performance at work and their excellent spirit. And we need Christians to distinguish themselves by their perseverance in their faith and the way they serve God in their church and in their community. Ones who say, you know what, it's not my, I'm, I'm just, I've done my thing, I'm going to go sit on the balcony now and watch everybody else. Or no, I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to go backstage. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to go back there and work. If you choose the balcony if you want, and you'll have a whole band of people that are up there with you, but if you choose the backstage as you get older as a Christian, and you want to keep serving in your church and in your community, the impact will be powerful. When I was probably six, seven, eight, a little church in Plainfield, Illinois. Every Tuesday night, I'd go for their kids' program. And I'd sit on the back of this little bench with probably three or four other kids. 
But Mr. Medford would sit there with us. Mr. Medford was bald, and he had hair on the sides, and I said, that's the haircut I want when I get older. <laughs> and it was gray, and he would shake, his hand would shake, and he'd sit there with three or four, eight, nine, ten, eleven-year-olds, and hold the paper and talk to us about Jesus. He could have took a balcony seat. He didn't have to show up on Tuesday. But he distinguished himself. And years later, the impact of his 45 minutes or even less a week on my life lasts eternity. And he's in heaven right now, and he knows it. But it was a man who distinguished himself in his old age, who said, you know what, there's a balcony or a backstage, and I'll take the backstage. It will have impact on people. This is what Daniel did. He distinguished himself. And as he distinguished himself, he got dissected for it. The other guys saw it. They didn't like it. Not all 120 of them, but just a few of them, at least the two that he was with, the two other guys in charge. They said, this can't be. We can't let this foreigner come in and take over Babylon. And they said, let's figure out how to rip him apart. And so they, they looked at his life. They said, let's find out his job. They checked everything into the job. Is he, is he showing up on time? Yeah. Is, there, is he stealing? Is he taking some of the taxes? No, all the books are in order. What do you mean all the books are in order? Nobody's books are all in order. This guy's books are all in order. There's nothing to take. They looked and they looked and they dissected everything to the finally, at the end, they said, there's nothing we're going to find here from his work ethic. It's all correct. And they said the only way we're going to find him is in his faith. Eugene Peterson in the messages translated this way, we're never going to find anything about this Daniel unless we cook up something religious. And they did. Could that be said of you, though? If people were to dissect you at work, at your neighborhood and say, well, we, we got to find something. There's got to be a skeleton in his closet somewhere. Daniel was not sinless. They, they, they were looking at his work ethic. They were looking at what they saw at his workplace. And he wasn't a sinless man, but they could not find anything to hold against him. They had to cook something up in their dissection of the, him. And what they had to cook up was something about his faith. Could that even be said about you? Like, we had nothing here, but oh, no, we look at his faith, we had nothing there either. Sure, he goes to church, sure they go to church, but it doesn't do anything for them. It just keeps it a little quieter in the neighborhood. We don't see any difference. Could it be said about you that in your faith, if they dissected it, they have something they could even come up with? They dissected Daniel and they said, there's nothing we could do, but we'll cook up something religious, in which they did, and they duped Darius. And Darius, they said, hey, we got an idea. You're the greatest thing in the world. Everybody should know you're the greatest thing in the world. Let, let's make a statement that for 30 days, nobody can talk to God, or nobody can talk to anybody other, other powerful person, but to you. You sign it. Everybody will do it. It will, it will build Babylon together. Thing will, thing, they will show your greatness and your power. And Darius was absolutely duped by it, and he signed it. And it doesn't take that much of an imagination 
for us to look at our politics today and say, yeah, I could see how that outrageous idea would easily be sucked up by some of our own politicians. This isn't that far-fetched. We could see how that would be. It was only 30 days, so he said, sure, I'll sign that. And he sealed it with the document and made it a law of the order of the Medes and Persians, which nobody could change. And then they were happy. And there they go, they signed it. And then it says in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three days, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. Nothing changed for Daniel. He was absolutely devoted. He heard about it. He knew what was going to happen. And he said, okay, fine. I'm just going to keep doing what I always do. Just like I'd always previously done. It wasn't like Daniel was like, okay, now I'm going to show them who God is. I'm going to make a big production about it. No. This is what he did every single day. He would just get up and he prayed to God three times a day. That's not something that we are required to do. Daniel did it probably because of what it says in 1 Kings 8, 35, where Solomon was praying, and he says, pray towards this place, towards Jerusalem. Daniel had been in exile for 60 years, but he still remembered Jerusalem, still remembered what his parents taught him, and for 60 years, he says, I'm going I'm to not walk away from God. I'm going to look towards Jerusalem and pray. I'm going to face God directly is what it means in the Hebrews. This was daring, defiant, and disciplined prayer on Daniel's part. And we don't know what he, would, what he prayed. We're not really sure exactly what he prayed. Maybe he prayed on that day what it says in Psalm 118. Out of my distress I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. If someone was just to look at your life of devotion, would they be able to have this reaction that these guys showed up at his house, stealth-like, waiting for him to open the door because they knew that's what he always did, and there he was, he did it. Daniel was committed in his faith to God because he knew he needed God to help him stay committed. He was absolutely devoted. P.T. Forsythe says, you, you pray as your faith is set is your face is set towards Jerusalem or Babylon which means this you're going to see your need for God and your need to pray depending on where you're looking if you've been spun around like Roy Regals and are heading the wrong way and think you know what Babylon and the world's my home I'm just going to I can do this on myself just like everybody else you're not going to pray But if you say, I need to go this way, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to keep my face towards Jerusalem, you're going to need to pray. Because you're going to need and you're going to know that it's God that's going to help you to do that. And you're going to persevere in that faithfulness. Daniel didn't change a thing when he found out what was going to happen to him. Because he was so devoted to God. He was running the way he was supposed to go. And he said, for 60 some years... God has taken care of me in this exiled place where it looks like none of the promises of God may be true. But I'm staying faithful to God. And he was devoted. And the king was distressed. They find out, they come in and say, hey, king, Daniel prayed. 
and Darius is besides himself. Verse 14 says, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. When they made the law, they had signed it probably in the morning. They snuck off as fast as they could at lunchtime to catch Daniel. And they saw it and they ran back as quickly as they could to Darius. And they said, we got him. And Darius heard it. He's absolutely distressed. And the, the law of the Medes and Persians had to be taken care of in the day of the offense. And so all the rest of the day, Darius is spending all his time trying to figure out, can I make an executive order? Is there something I can do? Getting all his lawyers online. How can we change this? What can we do? He spends the whole afternoon trying to figure it out, and there's nothing that he can do. He's absolutely distressed. And the king calls Daniel in, and they said, it's time to go, king. What are you going to do? Bring him in. Verse 16, the king commanded, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the den of lions. And the den, they would have had an opening at the top, an opening at the bottom, and they says that there was probably a, dividing in be- a divider in between. They'd throw the person in, and then they would pull up the divider, and the lions would come. So Daniel's thrown in, and maybe before the divider has been pulled, Darius yells out to him, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then Darius went home, and he didn't have TV. Nobody came and danced for him. He didn't have nothing to eat. He was miserable all night, and he could not sleep. He was absolutely distressed. But you notice who's not distressed in this? Daniel. Nowhere does it ever say Daniel is distressed in this. Because he was trusting in his God. Like the old hymn of years ago said, Whate'er my God ordains is right, here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him I leave it all. Daniel stood for God, he was devoted to God, and he was thrown into a a lion's den, which means God doesn't owe us anything. You, You can be devoted to God, you can be disciplined, distinguished, and you can still die in a tragic way. You, 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 you can still have troubles. Daniel was not distressed. He was willing to do whatever God allowed him. You can lose your job. You can fail. Your ministry can fall apart. Things can all fall apart. And it doesn't mean God has abandoned you. Because Daniel's not distressed. He's trusting God, taking God at his word, and trusting him. But Darius is completely distressed. Why wasn't Daniel distressed? And why don't you have to be distressed? The reason Daniel wasn't distressed was because 60 years ago, he'd made a decision that he was going to live his life for God. And he never had to make the decision again. He just kept managing the decision. Too many Christians, they say, I'm going to live for God this week, at this job, and then, or this situation. And then they don't. And then they have to make the decision again. I'm going to live for God this week, this situation. And they don't. And they have to make the decision again. Daniel made the decision once. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
If you want to live in a, dis, in, a, in a way that still deals with reality, but you don't wonder, am I going to turn back from God or not? You just make the decision. You choose to follow God, and you just manage the decision each day. You say, yeah, I made the decision. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. This is why Daniel wasn't distressed, and then Daniel, as we know, was delivered. And God sent an angel, kept the lions from eating him. And the way we know those lions were hungry is because after Daniel came up, all the ones who lied about him and their families were tossed in. And before they hit the bottom, their bones were crushed and broken. The Bible doesn't say that was a good thing. The Bible just says that's what the Medes and Persians did. This is the violent society that they lived in. But Daniel was delivered. And the king praised his God. For he is the living God and enduring forever. His kingdom shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall have no end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel's a great man. Daniel was a great man, but if you look at the life of Daniel, if all we had was this great Daniel, that would be a great story. But it wouldn't really help us in our story, in our exiles, in our situations today. What Daniel points to is that there's a greater Daniel. There was another one who was lied about. There was another one who was thrown into a tomb. There was another one who had a stone rolled over it and, a, and sealed. There was Jesus Christ who came for us and he died on the cross for our sins, went into the grave, and he wasn't rescued from the grave. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave himself. He was rescued from the grave. He wasn't rescued from the cross, and Jesus is the answer that we can look to for our hope. Jesus is the one that you can say, if you're going a certain direction, you need your life turned around, then direct your eyes to Jesus. There's a greater one than Daniel, and it's Jesus, and all of Daniel's life points us to Jesus. And so in verse 28, it says, so this Daniel prospered. So here's the dare. There's an old song growing up we used to sing and hear all the time. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Would you dare to be a Daniel? Dare to say, you know what? I'm going to trust God with the rest of my life. I want, to be, I want to persevere and be distinguished in my life for my service from God. I don't want to take a balcony. I'll take the backstage and I will serve. And I'm just going to dare to be like Daniel and direct my eyes to Jesus, trusting God. Would you dare to be a Daniel? The, the worst and saddest words will be I should have, or I wish I would have. There's an NFL coach in Florida this week who's saying to himself today, 
man, a couple weeks ago, I wish I would have, or I should have. But he didn't dare to be a Daniel and stand alone. Will you dare just in your life say, I'm going to turn, wherever I'm at, I'm going to trust God. And then will you direct your eyes to Jesus? Just keep looking to Jesus. He delivers, he rescues, he is the one who works signs and wonders. Dare to look to Jesus the way Daniel looked to God in faith and trust him. After Roy Regals ran the wrong way, it was right before halftime, he went to the side, sat down on the bench, he was devastated. Absolutely devastated. He says they wanted him to, back, to go back into the game. They wanted him to get back in there. They needed him. He was one of their star players. He was so shook up. He says, I, I, I can't do it, he told his coach. I can't do it. He goes, I, I've, I've ruined you. I've ruined myself. I've ruined the University of California. I, I, I can't do it. I can't go back in. And his coach, Price, looked at him and said, Roy, Get up and go back out there. The game is only half over. This morning, if you feel like you are heading the wrong way, or you are in a den and you're not sure which direction to go, or you feel like you've been so turned, listen, the game is only half over. If you are alive today, you can have it turned around. You can choose to trust God. You can say, you know what, I'm going to get back up in there. I'm going to step off the balcony that I've been in, and I'm going to go finish the rest of my life serving God faithfully. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I have a, maybe have a day off because it's Columbus Day. I'm going to think about how I'm going to serve, and for the rest of my time at this place, I'm going to distinguish myself as a Christian, I'm going to dare and delight in Jesus. The game's not over. Turn around, keep trusting, and follow God. Let's pray.